Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, where we discuss and break down topics surrounding the science of behavior change and the world of animal care. This episode, we are talking about the 10 modern principles of shaping with special guest Kelly Myers. Without further ado, let's talk some training and banter about behavior. Animal Behavior Conversations is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. Even though the content that you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. Hello and welcome once again. I'm your host, Shane, and I am currently on the board of directors for the ABMA and a self-proclaimed behavior nerd. This episode, we will be discussing the 10 modern principles of shaping with special guest Kelly Myers. So thanks for joining us today, Kelly. Hello, everyone. And Shane, thank you so much for having me on the podcast today. It's always super fun to not only talk training, but talk training with a great acquaintance and friend in the field. So super excited to be on here this afternoon. And thank you once again for coming on a second time because we actually recorded this. I don't even, was that probably like 10 to eight, eight to 10 months ago? It was a long yeah. time ago, a yeah. long time ago. And this podcast recording accidentally got deleted in Zoom and now <laughs> we're coming back to it. So extra thank you for joining us officially for a second time on the podcast. <laughs> Well, if it gets deleted again, then that might be a sign, but <laughs> but yeah, a little bit about me. Like most people in the field, I grew up in a state that did not have a lot of opportunity for training or keeping, but I did go to Central Michigan University for a biology degree. Uh, from there, I kind of went on to do few different marine mammal internships, one at Clearwater Marine Aquarium, one at Dolphins Plus, and then my last one was up in Niagara Falls, New York at the Aquarium of Niagara. After those internships, I had the opportunity to complete a seasonal position at Bush Gardens in Tampa, and that was actually working with their small primates and great apes, which was a little bit different, but super exciting and interesting. Uh, from there, I went back to the Aquarium of Niagara, where I spent almost eight years working with our California sea lions, harbor seals, gray seals, and penguins. So that was kind of where the bulk of my career was at the aquarium up there. Learned so, so much, but recently just transitioned back to Tampa, Florida, where I am currently at Zoo Tampa on our Africa team. We were going to try to record this in person, just didn't work out with life. So we're still over Zoom like everybody else, even though we're only like 20 minutes away. But that's the magic of podcasting and where we find ourselves here today. But let's get back into this episode that 
unfortunately got deleted, but we're going to go with it again. And today we are discussing the 10 modern principles of shaping from Karen Pryor. And if you want to know a little bit more about shaping, if this is some of the first episodes that you're listening to, we did a episode on shaping with successive approximations. That was episode 18 with our guest, Trisha D. So if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about the shaping process in general, make sure you check out that episode. And then today, like I said, we are going to be going over the 10 modern principles of shaping from Karen Pryor. And generally, when we're thinking about shaping, we're talking about training new behaviors. And while shaping behaviors, there are some things that we should keep in mind. And Karen Pryor, a leader and pioneer in the animal training world, came up initially with the 10 laws of shaping to aid us as we train. However, that was back in 1984. And since then, as she said, we've learned so much about the world of animal behavior. So Karen Pryor and her team have revised and revamped this list. And first off, they changed it from the laws to principles, since laws have a connotation that they have to be followed. But as we know, behavior is a study of one in one moment. So a quote unquote law that has to be followed doesn't really work with behavior. So I really like that change to the modern principles to better reflect the science and modern animal training practices. And just to clarify one more time as we are going into this discussion, that these are guidelines. They can help you with shaping, but they're not going to fit into every context. They don't need to be followed with every single shaping plan. Continue to listen to the animal that you're working with and listening to the communication that they are giving you. But this list is a really great list that can give you ideas and, like she said, guidelines to be able to help with your shaping. So let's get into today's discussion with the 10 modern principles of shaping. And as Kelly and I make our way through the 10 modern principles of shaping, we thought it might be helpful to have a behavior in mind to be able to reference how that might actually fit into a specific behavior we're shaping. And since we both have worked with pedipeds before, and this is applicable to a lot of different species, we're going to be talking about a ventral layout behavior or the behavior of an animal going on their side and exposing their underside to be able to have visual access, tactile access for different kinds of cooperative care, medical behaviors, all of those things. So we'll kind of keep coming back to that specific behavior as we are talking through this. So to start out, we're going to start out with number one, be prepared before you start. Yeah. And I think that is a fantastic principle to start off with. I think with anything in life, it is a great idea to have a plan before you start, but especially with training, I think all of us in the field have kind of been introduced to training plans or shaping plans, whether they seem tedious at first, I think it's still a really good decision to start with those. I think 90% of the time we'll agree that those plans don't really work out the way that we hope they would, but that's okay. But I still think it's a really great resource to fall back on before you start. Another thing I personally feel is very important before you start working on a specific behavior is kind of looking at the collection as an entirety and seeing if 
any other animals already have that behavior and trying to have that criteria as consistent as possible. And I think that's mostly for trainer consistency. So if you have a new trainer that comes in and you're teaching them all of the animals' behaviors, really just trying to keep that consistency for trainers and for animals. But with that being said, you're going to have animals that, you know, you might have to modify the behavior for, whether it's for health reasons or injuries, and that's also okay. And honestly, Shane, I'm going to share a super quick story because I feel like it's a great example of when I wasn't prepared for a training session. It was actually when I first started at the Aquarium of Niagara, I was assigned a wave behavior with one of our male harbor seals, Pickles. Shout out to Pickles at New York Aquarium. Wow. Shout out to one of the best seal names ever, too. Go, go Pickles. <laughs> um, great animal. But I... He was actually in one of our off-holding areas at the time. So me and my good coworker Hallie and Pickles were going to do a quick training session. I offered to kind of step up to him and do his wave and kind of just started at some approxes that we had left off on. Wasn't really working on it for that long, but Pickles decided to lift his flipper up and just start waving. And my response was looking at my coworker with the biggest smile on my face jaw probably hitting the ground and literally did not do anything. So she had to tell me, Kelly, feed him, bridge him, literally do anything because I was not prepared for him to make that progress. So I honestly kind of lost that opportunity. So just wanted to share that fun story. I think that's an amazing one. And that's exactly what Karen Pryor, because this is one of the principles that she actually added since her initial thoughts in 1984. And exactly what you just talked about is that sometimes in our head, we have the exact pattern that's going to have to go, but then you go into a session and the animal is 10 steps ahead of you and they're already doing it. So being prepared that at any moment that you're ready to bridge, to give that animal the information that that's what they're looking for, because if you're able to give them that reinforcer, they're going to hopefully keep doing it. So you're not losing that opportunity. So that's a, a really great story, and I'm sure almost every single person that is listening to this podcast, or if you're just starting out, this will happen to you at some point. So don't get discouraged. As always, is learn from it, and then you'll be ready for the next time. Yes, definitely. Perfect. Starting out strong. And then number two, we have ensure success at each step. So yeah, I think number two is a great principle as well, and really just kind of stating that the approximations that you are going to focus on are achievable for the animal. Um, knowing not to push the animal past their threshold, but also knowing that some animals are more eager than others and can learn at a quicker pace. But I think just really starting off very small with criteria and just kind of excelling from there is going to be one of your best goals. And just making sure that you are setting up the animal to be able to receive reinforcers that it is achievable so that way as they're learning that's what they're learning off of versus maybe being confused or frustrated because a lot is happening and they're not quite getting what you're hoping that they are able to get but by making sure that you're looking at where the animal is at in that criteria i think the ventral layout is a perfect example of maybe your first session you're not going to expect the animal to completely rotate their body over but instead, you're looking for them to 
you know, shift their shoulders in a way where half their body is kind of rotating and stuff like that. Right, definitely. And also just having fun with it at first. I feel like when you first start training a new behavior, that's the really fun part of just experimenting and, you know, letting your animal know, hey, we're working on something different. Um, It's going to be fun, though. Exactly. And that's, you know, we want our animals to be engaged while they are training. So that's a great thought to have in mind as well. Cool thing about these principles is they are all building off of each other because number three is train one criterion at a time. Yeah. And I think kind of just using that ventral layout example, uh, like you said, maybe just focusing on one thing at a time, whether it's asking them to target low to the ground, um, maybe you know, the next step would be asking them to kind of turn their neck or their head or their shoulders, but really just ensuring that you're not giving them too much at one time. You're really just focusing on that one criteria, um, whether it is just that low target to the ground. It's like, you know, you're going to bridge them for going down to the ground, reinforce them, and they're like, okay, this is easy. I can do this. And then kind of work on the next criteria after that. And one thing that I like to think about is starting broad and then focusing on the details. Like you said, like you're helping them to learn how to lay down and they got that. And then you're moving on to your next steps. And when I think about two with one criterion is thinking about duration. When you're first training an animal behavior, thinking about, am I going to be focusing on duration of this part or doing a specific action? And then as you're moving on, you are going to get to a point though, where you're going to start combining different criteria like duration and position and stuff like that but when you first start out it's a lot easier to do just one at a time but also want a caveat that every animal every session is going to be different because you easily will run into animals and situations and behaviors where maybe you are able to focus on multiple criteria at a time when you're starting out as well yes definitely i think that was great great advice to add Moving on to number four, which is relaxed criteria when something changes. Yeah, so I think these last three are kind of all falling into one another, which is great, though. Using that example of that ventral layout, let's just say that the animal is super consistent, uh, going down to the ground, kind of starting to roll their body over. But say you're at a step that you're working on getting them to tuck their flipper or kind of tilt their whole body. You know, if the animal kind of breaks or maybe lifts their head up a little bit and it's kind of like, wait, what are we doing now? That's still a great example of when to relax that criteria. It's new, it's different to them. So I think that's a completely normal response. I know one that I've always experienced with the ventral layouts is as soon as you go to incorporate that tactile behavior on them, it's like they're pros at admitting that ventral layout. But as soon as you go to touch them, that's a new response. That's a new stimuli. So they are a little bit shocked at first, but really just, you know, communicating to them that it's okay. It's just another step that we're going to work through. And the one thought that comes in my head with this is that it's temporary it's a temporary relaxing a temporary step back building that up and then moving forward right like you mentioned on to number five i like the wording of this one it's if one door closes find another yeah and 
I think that kind of goes back to the first principle of having a plan, knowing there are literally a million ways to train something, but really just finding what works best for your animal and what is setting them up for success. So whether you are brand new into the field or an experienced trainer, I think we all know that usually your first plan of action is not going to work and that's okay. Um, there are a million other ways to train it. So I think just really knowing as a trainer that you need to be flexible and really listen and observe the animal that you're working with because they're going to tell you whether they are understanding you or not. I think another valuable resource too that some people do take for granted is listening to your teammates that are watching your training sessions, having that second eye that they can probably see so much that you're not seeing and really just having that open communication with your teammates and um, valuing their opinions as well. And I, I love those moments when someone is talking to you or you're watching them do something with maybe a different behavior and it just clicks in your brain like, oh, we can use this and this. And that collaboration is going to help all of your team and you become a better trainer. So definitely, definitely, definitely love these teams that can have these discussions and are able to observe and help a door close, but finding another one, as Karen Pryor would say. Yeah. Even using our ventral behavior example, I mean, I worked with an animal that I was working so hard to get him to present a ventral side one way. One day I was like, this is not working. Will you do it the other way? And he was 100% successful. So that's like a random thing that even the smallest change of plan could be so successful. And you saying that reminded me of something else that might play factors is just the way or the place you're asking it. You know, I've had multiple examples where it's not working. And then one after one session, I went, you know what? The dominant animal is behind them. Maybe that's why they don't want to go into a ventral layout away from them. So trying so they can see where their conspecifics are or where certain parts of the habitat, where a shift door is, that animals come in and out while they might be out there. All those little things can be those you know, the door closes because you're setting up, you're listening to your animal, you're changing that communication, all those things that you just said, that something that sparked into my head that happens all the time, I feel like to me where I'm like, all right, is there some little thing here? Okay, that tracks. Yeah, no. And I mean, you worded that perfect, too. It's like when you're working with your animals, it's, you know, sometimes people are so tunneled vision that, you know, whether we're excited or just pumped to do the training session that, you know, we kind of do forget that there's so much else going on in their environment. Perfect. And then moving on to number six, and that is keep training sessions continuous. This is another one that was added and revised to this initial 10 principles of shaping. Yeah. And honestly, I really love that this principle was added. Really, it's kind of just describing to continuously keep your animal engaged throughout the session, not really providing any downtime for them to overthink things. Don't provide any downtime for you as a trainer to overthink things, whether that training session is 20 seconds long or whether it's, you know, two minutes long. I think as long as your animal is engaged, 
they're going to be excited and motivated to want to learn a new behavior. Amazing. I was engaged that entire time that you were saying that. <laughs> keep your keep your podcast recordings continuous is part of my 10 principles of podcasting now. Just got nine more I got to think of. So stay tuned for a future date. Okay, now going on to number seven, another one that I just love the wording on this one. So it sounds a little bit funny when it's kind of presented, but thinking about signs of behavior change, it makes sense. But number seven is go back to quote unquote kindergarten if necessary, or take a step back and then move on. Yeah, and I honestly think that trainers probably use this so much more than they think because it is such a valuable principle. But, you know, even just having those approximations, that is such an important aspect of training that you do have those steps to fall back on. So going back to our ventral behavior, say your animal is super consistent, rolling over, tucking their flipper out, allowing tactile, but one day you ask them for that behavior and they have absolutely no idea what you're asking for. That's okay. You know, you have those steps to fall back on those low targets to the ground or rolling over and just turning their head or their neck just to ensure that they can receive the proper criteria and mitigate any frustration. And this is also where you get that importance of training with successive approximations because you have that history, you have that those steps that you can go back to to move forward as well. So like I said, episode 18, if you are newer and would like to learn more about successive approximations and how they can function while you're shaping behaviors. All right, now on to number eight and I dare say that if I have one that I feel like I personally would love to highlight and say that this is such an important one for me, I really like number eight because it's something that is so easy to do, but also at the same time, so easy to accidentally not do, if that makes sense. And number eight is keep your attention on your learner. Yes, and I am also a huge fan of this principle. I feel like there's a lot I want to say about this, but I'll try and keep it short. You know, when you are working with the animals, there should be minimal distractions. I think it goes back into stepping into a training session, knowing what your goals are and not having those distractions, um, you know, limiting any outside conversations. That is always a huge pet peeve of mine when people are talking during your sessions, you know, that can cause not only frustration for the trainer, but for the animal as well. I also am a huge advocate for you personally being in the right mental state of mind when you're working with your animals. If you're having a bad day or seem stressed, you know, that's going to feed off onto your learner or your animal. So I think just really having that confidence to know when you are ready to work alongside them, but also like having the power to say, you know what, I'm just not in the right state of mind to be doing this because you don't want to frustrate your animal. Also just knowing how much time do you have to work with these animals? Do you have five minutes and you're going to try and cram a session in? I would probably say, don't do that because you have no idea 
where your session's going to go, you need to be able to uh, give that time to your animal. One thing we've talked about in recent episodes is how animals are experts at our behavior. You know, they hone in on every single thing that we are doing. They perceive the world completely different from us. And one thing that I have noticed personally with a lot of animals I've worked in is that they hone in a lot on our shoulders. Your shoulders move, your whole body's moving, kind of like your core. And I've seen instances where people will turn to talk to somebody to ask a question or they're doing a tour. And so they're doing that. And as they turn away, the animal maybe does a behavior and you as that trainer, you don't necessarily see it because you're not looking at it. But then the second you start to turn back and the animal sees your shoulders coming back, they might stop that behavior. And then you might reinforce them thinking that they've just stayed in that same spot. But without actually being able to physically see that, you might be accidentally reinforcing all kinds of behaviors. And that's just one example. There's so many things that by removing your attention from an animal and then going back to them, you don't really know what they're doing. And that honestly, you could even be creating a behavior. You could accidentally be reinforcing you turning away as a cue for them to do a specific behavior. And then they come back, they stop it. And then you're reinforcing it and all these things. So, so important to keep your attention, have that time, have that mental space, as you said, when you are working with an animal learner. Yeah, definitely. And honestly, Shane, as you were describing that, I feel like it also just goes on your animal keeping attention on you too. You know, if you notice that they are disengaged or they're preoccupied with something else, whether like you mentioned earlier, if there's a dominant animal behind them or if they're in an uncomfortable spot on habitat, it's really your job to make sure they also do have attention on you to ensure that success as well. And we are almost done moving on to number nine, and that is stay ahead of your learner. Awesome. And I think this kind of just goes back to knowing your animal, listening to them, you know, really feeding off the cues that they're giving you. If you think that they are ready to move on to the next step, I think you should definitely go for it. But also knowing, you know, animals are going to learn at different speeds. So if you have an animal that is not succeeding as quick as another, that is also okay. But, you know, you're going to have those animals that are so eager to learn, whereas you're going to have those animals that do take a little bit more time to learn, which is also okay. But just being prepared in case you can skip all of those steps and, you know, make it to the final approximation. And then finally, number 10, which is quit while you're ahead. And this one was modified from the original ones, which I believe was something to the effect of end your session on a quote unquote positive note. And I personally really like this rewording of saying quit while you're ahead versus the other one. So last one to discuss, Kelly, number 10. Awesome. I love it. I think as trainers, you know, we always are so excited when our animals are succeeding that it's hard to not want to try and keep moving forward during one session. But uh, like Karen Pryor said, I think just knowing to quit while you're ahead is a fantastic tip. I know as I've experienced a lot in the field, one little tip that I always give to 
new trainers is whether your animal is not really picking up on a behavior specifically that you are teaching them. My advice is always, you don't have to keep pushing them to end that specific behavior positively. They're going to have sessions that they just really aren't picking up on that and that's okay. So I always encourage them to just end the session with something that they do find reinforcing, whether it's just like a simple target behavior or just a relationship session or a play session, just so they aren't so focused on I'm training this behavior, I need to end this behavior positively. So that is always one tip that I always encourage a lot of coworkers to do. I love that. And kind of almost the opposite could be true as well with don't let one behavior that didn't reach criteria cause the whole session to end poorly. Absolutely. In the way of saying that, you know, you've made all this progress on this behavior and then you ask to do something that's maybe maybe not the highest probability behavior for them to achieve and then find yourself in a situation where you're you're left with no other option but to not end that session with something that they find reinforcing and that could shift the entire session that way versus you had a great session so exactly what you said finding something that the learner finds reinforcing is so so important I can sit here for a long time and tell so many instances of like, yep, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have done this. And for everybody who has been in the field of behavior or is starting out, like this is one of the hardest battles you are going to fight. And I also just would like to encourage people to not beat yourself up over it. It's going to take time with being able to learn when to quit while you're ahead, when to know like this was really great. Let's make sure that this sticks with the animal versus like, they got it. They got it. They can do this next one. They're ready for it. It's one of the hardest things as a behaviorist and a trainer. So don't get discouraged. You're going to keep learning. You'll learn from it. And then you'll get to a point where you're able to recognize when it's time to follow principle number 10. Definitely. And I think to wrap up too, I mean, all of these principles are so important when shaping behaviors, but I also think that everyone needs to remember how important your relationship with these animals are. Because if you do not have a great relationship with animals, then none of these principles are going to be in your favor. So, you know, even just going back to that principle number 10, if you're having a rough session and the animal's not picking up on a behavior, you know, you guys might be getting frustrated. You just have to remember that you've been working with this animal for so long that you guys still have such a great relationship and even just hanging out is going to be ending a session positively. I love that. And it goes back to actually episode number three of our podcast when Justin Garner talked about describe training and behavior in one word and he said relationships. And that kind of sums all of that up another great episode if you haven't had a chance to listen to that well i think we should listen to this principle and quit while we're ahead so thank you for joining us today thanks kelly goodbye just kidding i i couldn't resist the temptation (laughs) but you kind of wrapped that up can we have one final like you know we talked a lot about how these are guidelines these are principles this is from karen Pryor and There's all kinds of, you know, little things that are going to 
ebb and flow as you're training. As we mentioned, in one shaping plan, you might use every single one of these principles. In one, you might only be using half and actually be doing the opposite of other ones because it really just depends on reading your animal, reading the situation, listening to them, finding ways to communicate. So as a wrap up to this, Kelly, when you are starting a new behavior with an animal, you're starting to shape a new behavior, how do you think, keep these principles in your mind as you're moving through that behavior? I think just really going in with a plan, having those approximations in gear, having a good mental attitude and really just being eager to have fun with your animal. I would also encourage people to don't have these memorized in your head where every single session you're like, I need to make sure I'm hitting all of these. I mean, I would say that there are some that every single session, like number one, be ready, be prepared. Like, I think that is obviously one, keeping your attention on your learner, making sure that you have a plan, like all those things are you're going to be doing those intuitively as you go into a session. But the biggest thing I would like to just end and encourage people is to continue to listen to your animals, continue to build that relationship and that communication. And with that, you're going to be using the guidelines that will help that specific animal in that specific behavior in that specific moment. All right. Well, thank you, Kelly, once again, for helping us go through the 10 modern principles of shaping from Karen Pryor. But before you leave, we have to end with our training tales. So Kelly, can you tell us a fun training story? Yes, there are so, so many that come to mind, but I will definitely share one of my top favorites. Uh, Coming from a marine mammal background, I was working on a clap behavior with one of our sea lions, Isabel. Honestly thought it was going to be a pretty easy behavior to train, but those are some of the best behaviors when the plan doesn't go as you'd hope. Um, I literally changed my plan so many times, but it was so rewarding because Isabel, the sea lion, was just like keeping up with all of these changes of plans so well that it was almost so reinforcing to her that we were doing something different so often. But to start the behavior, I was trying just getting her used to like flipper targets, getting her to um, touch the target pole with her flippers. The way our exhibit was set up is we had a big rock or seat and there wasn't really a way for me to get in front of her. So I was kind of struggling with that positioning, but I did try asking her for just like a dorsal on her seat to see if she could get her flippers off to maybe get some momentum with that. That wasn't really working out too well. So I then moved on to asking her for a clap behavior in a ventral position, which was super cute, but I think all of my coworkers got really mad when that's all she would do and she (laughs) no longer could complete medical exams or ultrasounds. So that was very reinforcing to her. But again, it wasn't really the exact criteria that I wanted, but still a super fun little hiccup. 
So then I went into our backup area where I was actually in the water with Isabel directly in front of me. She was staring right into my eyeballs, but it was great because I was able to be right in front of her and have her flippers in front of me. And she learned how to clap. It was super cool. So it was essentially just working on um, generalizing that behavior out onto our stage area. But it was super funny because when we would work on it in our backup area, as soon as we left the pool, we would be talking about the training session, talking about how it went, and we would hear, hear her using her flippers to smack the water. And it was like, she was just so eager. She's like, I get it now. Like, keep, keep working with me. I get it. So, um, my last little step was, generalizing it out onto our stage area where that required me to be on a huge enrichment device floating in the middle of the pool. So I was able to be in front of Isabel and she was doing so excellent. Um, so that was just like such a fun experience. And it was also a great experience working with my coworkers too, because I always needed at least one other person, sometimes two, and it was just so fun because my coworkers were excited about it. They were like, let's work on Isabel's clap, even though some days I was like, I don't want to get in the water, it's cold. But it was just so fun to know that I was having fun, my coworkers were having fun, and Isabel was having fun, and that is really what it's all about. And see, I'm not lying when I say that's a great training tale. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the pity laughs. We always appreciate the pity laughs. But also, that's impressive that you were floating in the middle of a habitat as you were finishing up training the behavior with her. <laughs> it was. It required a lot of flexibility. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I 100 percent would have just fallen in the water. The 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 SD would have eventually just been me falling in the water, probably. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast, recording this episode twice, even though this is the only one that people other than myself will hear. So really appreciate that. And Kelly, if anybody has any questions or if they want to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, I mean, I am always so up for talking training with anyone. So if you do want to get a hold of me, uh, Shane has my email address that I would love to talk to anyone and everyone about training or any of the contacts that we went over today. So thank you once again for joining us today, Kelly. Thank you for having me, Shane. Take care. And that concludes today's episode. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at the abma.org. We'd love to hear from you because this podcast is made for you. So if you have any questions or topics that you would like covered, please let us know. Once again, a special thank you to James McCaleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion, all of our ABMA members, and to you for listening and joining in on the Behavior Conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting theabma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next time on Animal Behavior Conversations. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training. Moving on from that giant airplane and my word vomit. Blame the airplane. Yeah. Oh, I always blame airplanes.
for everything. 